Well, good morning. Usually on Easter Sunday morning, I will say, He is risen. And all of those in the congregation will respond, He is risen indeed. I'm missing a congregation today. So you're going to have to help me at home. I might not be able to hear you, but whether you're an audience of one or whether you've got a crowd of a dozen there, let you respond to me. Because I say, He is risen, you say, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, traditional greetings on Easter have been around so very, very long. Good to be together here at this time for Easter to celebrate together, even when we cannot be together. And I'm just so thankful for our social media and for these folks who know how to enable us to come into your home and to be here with you even today. Now, today is a special day not only because it's Easter, but we're going to be celebrating communion. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Now, you may remember from last week that I asked you to prepare for this Sunday by setting aside uh, a cracker and some juice of some sorts. You take a moment, even if you have to pause uh, right now in the recording, pause and go get those ready. We're going to be using those later in our service. Uh, if you didn't, uh, just get a cracker of some sorts, juice, whatever you can find there, because uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together in just a matter of moments. You know, on Easter Sunday, pastors love to preach on the resurrection. Oh, we preach about the resurrection all throughout the year, but especially on Easter Sunday, it is our regular and common staple theme. Today, I want to preach up to the resurrection. God's laid a passage on my heart that just really touches where I am right now, where I think you are right now, in relation to all the things that's going on around us. And so turn in your Bible, if you will, to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, Mark chapter 4. And if you'll be begin reading there in just a few moments from verse 35. This is a passage that happened early in Jesus' ministry. But it poses a question that is so very important for us even today. And the resurrection helps to answer that question. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. Will you follow along in your Bible as I read from mine? On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. He was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he wanted to go from one side to the other. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Pray with me. Holy Spirit, thank you so very much for seeing to it that Mark included this passage in his gospel. 
Thank you, Lord, for the exact wording in this passage because it so speaks to our need right now. Father, we need you deeply. These are troubling times. Our hearts are heavy and even fearful. We open our hearts to you right now so that you will open your heart to us. In the name of our risen Lord Jesus do we pray. Amen. As Mark writes, they've set out to sail across the Sea of Galilee. That's not an unusual thing to do. And it's not unusual for the sea to very suddenly turn very angry. In my trips to the Holy Land, we've seen that happen from time to time. One particular morning, we woke up and looked out our mirror, and the Sea of Galilee was like a piece of glass. But then, by before noon, by about 11 o'clock, a storm had come up, and there were white caps even on that inland sea. Things can change greatly in a short period of time. So here we have the disciples somewhere in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The wind comes up frantically, and the waves are beginning to swamp into the boat. And they're frightened. And where do we find Jesus? Where is Jesus in the midst of this? He's asleep in the boat on a pillow. And the disciples make an assumption. It's an assumption that's not hard for them to make. It's an assumption that is rather easy for us to make from time to time. And here it is in these words. Don't you care? Don't you care? Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing, that we're dying, that the boat is being swamped? We've heard similar accusations in the voices of others. How many times have you heard one, someone say, I've always tried to be a good Christian. Why is God letting this awful thing happen to me at this time in my life? Or maybe you've heard someone say, how can God let such horrible things happen in our world? Or more recently, how can a good God let anything like this COVID-19 virus loose on a world that he's supposed to love? You know, as we consider our situation right now, that's a question that's on a lot of people's minds. They've often heard that God is good and he's good all the time. Well, if God is good, why is this horrible evil impacting our world, impacting our nation? If God is so very good, why is it I've lost my job or had my hours cut back? Why is it that I'm in such a terrible position right now? Why am I so frightened? Why am I so sick? I share with you, that's a natural response of mankind. But I want you to see something. I want you to see that's exactly what Satan wants you to think and how he wants you to respond right now. The words of the disciples reflect something. And we see it as this story unfolds. The words of the disciples reflect this. They really didn't understand at this point in time who this man in the boat really was. They knew he was a miracle worker. They knew he was a great teacher. But what they did not know was that he was the creator and sustainer of the universe. They did not know the power and who this man genuinely was. And their reaction reflects what they didn't know and didn't understand. 
One of the things about the Gospel of Mark is it's so very much a mirror. A mirror that you and I look into God's Word and we see our reflection staring back at us. You see, when I read this passage, when you read it today, here's what you and I need to realize. We are the disciples that are there in the boat. And how they are responding is not unusual to how we respond as well. Jesus did not create the storm. Storms on the Sea of Galilee were a natural phenomenon. The geography of the Holy Land is helpful to understand here. The northern part uh, of Israel uh, is a tremendously beautiful fertile plain that goes all the way from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Sea of Galilee. But ringing around that top western edge of the Sea of Galilee is a mountain range. And through it is a very clear V-cut, the Valley of Doves. And there's nothing that restricts the winds that come from the Mediterranean Sea as they flow eastward and as they pick up speed. And then they hit the vortex of the Valley of the Doves which comes at the very top of the Sea of Galilee and causes a swirling pattern that works around the Sea of Galilee. In a short period of time, the weather can absolutely, completely change. And that's what was happening. This was a normal phenomenon. This was a natural phenomenon. Storms happen. They are natural occurrences. But here's what's something you need to know. Those who inhabit the supernatural world take opportunity of things that happen in the natural world to interact with mankind. God uses these occurrences to demonstrate his love and his grace. Satan uses these very occurrences to inflict fear and doubt. And we see that in the lives of these men on this particular day. But here's the thing. When the storm arose and when it was at its peak, and when they were the most fearful, where was Jesus? Did he leave his disciples alone? Did he abandon them? Did he say, you need to work this out on your own? No. He was right there with them. He would never allow them to go through something as fearful as what they were going through that day. Are you listening? God will never let you go through anything as fearful as what you're going through right now by yourself. That goes against his nature. That goes against who he really is. There was a praise song that I live from some years ago. I haven't heard it in some time, but I love the refrain. It says, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim, to let us drown. He didn't make his home in us just to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. The message of that song is this. God allows us to come into these frightening and difficult and cataclysmic and pandemic times. He doesn't create them. But when they happen and we're so fearful, we cry out, God, where are you? The answer to that question is he's right here in the midst. Right here in the midst. You see, if... These disciples were just afraid of what is happening. They would have been afraid of the storm itself. At least four men in that boat were seasoned fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. 
I assure you that they had all seen times when this sea erupted in the way that it had today. But listen, of the 12 men in that boat, 13 counting Jesus, all of them, including these four, were frightened. If these four seasoned fishermen were frightened, that gave the others a reason to be frightened as well. But let me tell you something. It was not their fear that separated them from Jesus on this day. What separated them from the comfort that Jesus would give is they did not understand who he was. That was the difference. They didn't grasp who Jesus really was. And this separation is very clear when you see how they approached him. They approached him accusingly. They accused him of being unfeeling, uncaring, and detached from their reality. Was he? No. Not in the least. Listen, he was in the boat with them. He was in the same boat. Now, if they had came to Jesus and, and woke him up and said, Teacher, uh, we need your help here. We know you can handle this. It would have been a whole different matter. It would have clearly indicated they knew who they were talking to. They knew who Jesus was. But they didn't at this point. So they came to him accusingly. Don't you care? Don't you care? How could he not care? He was in the same boat they were in. You say, but now, wait a minute, Brother Fred. Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, he didn't have to worry. He didn't have to worry what's going to happen to his physical body. Well, yes, but there's one little problem with that. Jesus knew something was looming in his future. And it was the cross. He did have a reason to worry about his physical concerns. And there would be a time in the garden as he was anticipating the horrors of the crucifixion. That he would cry out to his father to the point that blood vessels in his face would erupt in blood. Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. We can't say that Jesus was not concerned about his physical well-being. Because he obviously faced that. But he is the son of God. And that's exactly the point. If these disciples had understood who Jesus was, rather than coming to him accusingly and saying, don't you care, they would have come to him and said, Lord, surely you can do something in the midst of this. Now, at this point, we're witnessing in the Gospel of Mark a, a major turn a major turn in the life of the disciples and their relationship to Jesus Christ. Up until this time, the disciples had witnessed Jesus doing some phenomenal teaching and working some miracles. And they would be the first to invite people to come and see this miracle worker, see this man who teaches so wonderfully. But here is what they didn't understand and what it took this incident to turn the corner. Jesus was not a miracle worker. These were not so much miracles. 
far more than a miracle. What Jesus was offering was a sign. What's the difference between a miracle and a sign? Well, they're both miraculous, yes. But a sign points specifically to who this man is. To who this man is. The signs revealed that Jesus was none other than the Son of God. These were signs, not just miracles. And, I mean, there were other people in that day under the power of the evil one who were also working miracles. This should not surprise you. Way back in the Old Testament, when Moses came to challenge Pharaoh, so many of the wonders, the miracles that he worked, were replicated by the magicians and sorcerers of the day. What they could not mimic, what they could not imitate, what they could not perform was the signs. The signs that showed who Jesus was. And had they interpreted the sign, they would have said, Teacher, we know who you are, and we know you can handle this. So even though the disciples didn't really understand who he was, didn't believe at this point that he was none other than the Son of God himself. What did Jesus do? Did he rebuke them? Not really. What did he do? He saved them. He spoke to the wind and spoke to the waves. Peace be still. Now, what he didn't say was six other words. Six other words that he really didn't have to say. Peace be still. And know that I am God. Those words weren't spoken. That, you're not going to find that in your Bible. But they were absolutely implied because of what he was doing. Working a sign that they could all see. Know that I am God. Now you and I know that because we know the end of the story. We've gone all the way through the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. We know the rest of, of the Bible. These men did not. At this time, they couldn't grasp this. So what happened when he spoke to the wind and he said, peace be still, and there was a sudden calm. What, what does the disciples do? What does they say? They said, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you not want to go up to one of them and bam, slap them up against the side of the head and say, Hello, is there anybody in there? Who else could do this? It is a sign for who he is. But now, let me pause a minute. Before you go, Head slapping the disciples. Remember what Mark sets out to do in his gospel. To hold a mirror before our face. To where we can see ourselves. Folks, we are the disciples in the boat with Jesus. And we demonstrate how much we know and understand of who he is. By how we respond to these fearful times. Teacher, do you not care? reflects our understanding of Jesus. Teacher, do you do not care that we're shut up in our homes? 
Do you not care? We're living in fear of this coronavirus. Teacher, do you not care that I've lost my job or had my hours cut back? Teacher, do you not care that I am afraid? Teacher, do you not care because I'm so sick or someone I love is so sick? That betrays that we are like the disciples in the boat. We really don't understand who we're praying to. Does he care? Does he care? He cared enough to take my place on the cross. To bear the weight and the shame of my sins. Does he care? He was buried with my death. Put in a tomb that should have been mine. And yet he broke the bonds of death. And rose to give me what I would never ever deserve. His abundant, eternal life. He cares enough to promise you and I from his word, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And offer you this invitation right now. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, let me give you rest. Listen, let me put it to you in the plainest language the scripture can put. He cares enough to be in the boat with you. He cares enough to be in the boat with you. How could he not care? I mean, what, what are the facts? The Bible tells us he has loved us with an everlasting love. And that love brought him to become a man. To live this perfect life. To bear our sins to Calvary. And to bear our death into the grave. How can he not care? Do you think he brought us this far just to let us perish? You think he brought us this far to abandon us and say, I don't care what happens to you? No. Think of what he's done for you personally. There was a time in, in your life that you were an enemy of God. You were under the control and in the dominion of the evil one. You were not only in the darkness, you were the darkness. And then Jesus. Then God came. Then Jesus came and rescued you, bought you out, redeemed you from your life of sin and brought you into the kingdom of his own. Think of what he's done for you personally. How you were once an alien from God and now you're a child of God. Do you think there's any possible way that he could not care for you? You say, well... Why doesn't God uh, perform some great miracle in my life right now? I've read of these things and I've, I've heard of these things. Why does he leave me in this situation? Why am I so frightened? Master, don't you care that I'm perishing? My friends, listen. So many times God works a much greater miracle by sustaining you in the problem than he could ever work 
by taking you out of the problem. He sustains his people through it. You see, what really saved the men in the boat that day was their faith was linked with the faith of Jesus himself. Hear me, please. God is right there in the boat with us. Hear that again. God is in the boat with us. I want you to say that right now. If you're the only one in the room, or if it's just you and one other, or if there's five of you or ten of you, I want you to say that with me, that God is in the boat with us. Let's say that together. God is in the boat with us. One more time. God is in the boat with us. He is Emmanuel, God in the flesh, and he's in the boat with us. Your idea of God is he's somewhere way up here watching you from a distance, saying, oh, my poor pitiful child languishing and fearful down there in whatever the situation they're going through. No, never. God is in the boat with us. And let me tell you what God will do. He'll either calm the storm around you or he'll calm the storm within you. Sometimes both. But one or the other, he'll do. I, I want you to see a few words. And with this, I want to close and move into our invitation to the Lord's Supper. This passage starts with the words, There arose a great storm. And then he arose. And there was a great calm. That's the effect of knowing that Jesus is in the boat with us. There has arisen a great storm in our land right now, an invisible enemy that we can't see, that in many ways we're hiding from or in other ways just taking precautions. There's a great enemy that plagues us even on this Easter Sunday morning. There's arisen a great storm. But when Jesus arises in your heart, he raises up a great calm. And that's what I want us to pray over ourselves today. As we come to the Lord's Supper and celebrate His Supper, what we're celebrating is God in the boat with us. With whatever you're going through now, you, you may have no worries about this COVID-19 at all, but you've got your own storm you're going through. Maybe it has to do with that relationship that's teetering on the very edge of breaking. Maybe all of this has impacted you financially and you don't know how you're going to pay a grocery bill or a power bill. What's the storm you're going through right now? Here. God's in the boat with you. Jesus is going through this storm and he'll either calm the storm around you or calm the storm within you. For those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, for those of you who have been saved, born again, for those of you who have made your commitment to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you now to come before the table of our Lord, to come before the Lord's table in communion right now. This is a precious time. You've made your preparation. I want you to, to get your, your cracker, your loaf, 
to get your juice, get it close by, okay? And as you're doing that, I'm going to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to where I can read through this passage. You got the cracker, got the juice there in front of you. I'm going to ask the men, fathers, grandfathers, husbands, if you'll take this role, if, if there's not such a person in your home, then whoever the head of the home is, you, you take this role. Listen as I read. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is matzah. This is unleavened bread. If you have a cracker, that's unleavened bread too. This is what he took in his hands. And the word says, and he broke it. And he gave it out. You give it out right now in your home. Give it out to your wife or your children or grandchildren. If there's not a spiritual head, a man in the home, then whoever's the head of the home, will you do this? Break this and give it out. And now each of you, as you hold it there in your hand, pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being the living bread. The bread that satisfies my soul. I can eat of physical bread and be hungry again. But when I eat of the spiritual bread, the bread of life, I receive eternal life. So as I take this little piece of bread, put it into my mouth, chew it up and swallow it. Lord, I remember the broken body of Jesus Christ. The broken heart, not the broken bones, but the broken heart of the Lord and what you had to do to save my soul. I remember you. In your name I pray. Amen. Now partake of the bread. And now take juice, the cup. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Everyone take your cup. Father God, this juice, whatever it is we have in our cup, right now symbolizes the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And your word tells us that it can also be said that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But because you shed your blood on Calvary, and I've received you as my Lord and Savior, I can celebrate today, my sins are gone. My sins are gone. Lord, I want to remember the agony of the cross. So that today I can celebrate the joy of your resurrection. Lord, I remember you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now take of the juice. Paul continues and says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We just preached a sermon right there in your home. As you did this, you preached a sermon. You proclaimed the Lord's death and the Lord's resurrection until he comes. Now, let me speak to some others of you in our audience today. Those of you who have never came to the point that you've prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to be your Lord and your Savior, maybe until today you've never really realized what that meant. When Jesus died, he wasn't just suffering at the hands of cruel men. In the plan of God written from before time began, this was the plan that the Son of God would take the sins of the world upon himself. The Bible says that all sin must be punished, and the punishment for sin is death. Either you and I have to suffer eternal death, or you and I have to allow Jesus Christ to take that on himself. And not only did he die for your sin and shame, my friends, after he was buried, three days later he rose from the grave so that he might give us his abundant eternal life. If you've never received that life, if you've never had your sins cleansed and washed away, I'm going to invite you right now to pray along with me and ask the Lord Jesus to do a miraculous thing in your life right now. To celebrate this Easter as your first Easter as a believer in Christ. Would you bow your heads and play with, pray with me right now? Lord God, at this moment, I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, you died for me. You died to take my sins upon yourself. You died to take my shame and my rebellion upon yourself. But I've heard today and I dare to believe that you didn't remain in the grave. But three days later, you rose from the grave so that I could not only be forgiven, but I might be adopted. That I might not only live, but that I might have eternal life. So right now, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I confess my rebellion. I'm sorry, Lord, for all I've done. Come into my heart. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Wash away all my sin and shame. Create in me a new heart, God. I want your eternal, everlasting life. I give myself to you. I give my life to you. Come and be my Lord. Come and be my Savior. 
I mean this with all my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, friend. Immediately as this sermon comes to an end, you're going to see a link on your page to where you can contact one of us here at First Baptist Church so we can pray with you and, and encourage you for the decisions you've made today. So please contact us so we can rejoice with you. But right now as we go out on Easter Sunday, we want to go out in great celebration. We want to go out singing. We want to go out worshiping. So as I close this in prayer, then we're going to move into our praise team, leading us into a great time of celebration and song. Father God, thank you for the joy of Easter Sunday. Thank you for your love and your grace, your mercy. Thank you for the future we have now that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We celebrate you with all our heart. In Christ's name we pray.